What's going on, Victory Church? How you doing? Good morning, good morning. Hey, come on, can we give it up for our worship team real quick? Come on, let's give kids God praise. Man, it's a great, great day to be here. As Emily said, if you're with us, my name is Troy, my wife, darling. I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, as she said, we'd love for you to connect. Just gives us an opportunity to reach out and do our best to answer any of your questions, as well as get you connected. Um, also, as you saw in the video, if you're looking for ways to give to support Victory, there are so many people every month that are faithful in their tithes and in their offerings, and we're able to do so much, not just in here as you guys are eating popcorn and drinking soda and getting ready for an action-packed sermon, uh, but we're able to do stuff in the community, and so every month we kind of try to take some time and focus on what we're doing outside of these four walls. Obviously, as you come every Sunday, you're experiencing what is happening in here from our V Kids ministry to First Impressions Production Worship. And starting in September, I'm going to really talk us through some of the ministry opportunities here at Victory. Keep that in front of you so that you can get involved and get connected. Um, but we're always doing outreach, always involved in other areas. And we try to take different things every month. There's so many partners. As you walk out and go to the right, you'll see on that wall all of our different partners. It's not, that's not every partner. It's just some of the ones that we're invested in the most. Uh, but we always try to take a second and just say, hey, because of your faithfulness, because of what you've been able to, or because of what you have committed to give towards victory, next month we'll start putting some numbers in front of you of the things we've been able to be involved in and things we've been able to do financially throughout the year. But we focus on different things. And this month, we have been focusing on the school system. And so we started off by uh, giving out school supplies in the South Community Day. We gave out rulers to every kid that came through for free. And then the next week, we focused on our Rock Springs Middle School teachers as we gathered and fed them one day. And I got an opportunity to pray over them. And a little bit, come on, yeah, give a little shout. Rock Springs Middle School is where it's at. In case you're like, why is he so excited about that? When we moved here, we planted the church in Rock Springs Middle School. And so for four years, we set up and tear down. And, and so they're, that they're family to us. Uh, and then last week, we got to hear about what we're doing with Empowerment Incorporated as Janelle came, the director, and shared a little bit about what we're doing through Empowerment Incorporated. And we talked about the bowling fundraiser. So don't forget to sign up if you feel like you're a pretty good bowler, because I'm not, and I'd like to win. And so that'd be a way to do that. Um, but we'd like to kind of bring that to a close. Next month, we'll start focusing on Katie Carter, our missionary to Costa Rica. Yeah, we're going to hear some updates from her. We'd like to kind of bring that to a close today by doing two things. One is by recognizing and praying over the, the teachers and different faculty that are a part of our church, as well as gifting them with a little something at the end of service. And so I want to ask real quick, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you are a teacher or faculty member, would you stand for me real quick? I won't make you come down front, but would you stand for me? Come on. Yes, yes. So stay, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. Don't sit down, don't sit down, keep standing. A uh, couple things real quick. One, one I just want to say thank you. Uh, if, if we learned anything from 2020, it's to start appreciating our teachers. Am I right? If you get your kids home all day, you'll realize what a blessing saint they are. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for what you do. So much of what you do goes unnoticed. So much of what you do is behind the scenes. My sister's a teacher. I have a lot of friends who are teachers, and so I know that majority of your work comes after hours. It's not even with the kids, but... 
Miss Emily is a teacher who was just up here, and we met Thursday, and you could just, you know, we, we met right after school, and you could see uh, what she had been going through that day with the young folk. And so, again, we just appreciate you. I would like to take a second and pray over you, and then I want to let you know we've got some, some gifts. If we don't have enough out there, Miss Erica will get with you about getting it to you this week, but it's an Amazon gift card, and it's just a way of saying, hey, maybe you've got a few last things you need to get for your school supplies. Maybe you just need to go out and treat yourself, you know? I don't know. You, whatever you you do is on you, boo, but we just, we just wanted to take a second, and because of the faithfulness of this church, just put a little bit back in your hands and say thank you so much. So church, would you join me for a moment just as we pray? Father, we thank you right now for every one of these leaders. They're leaders, and we're going to talk about this in the next couple of months as we preach through your scriptures and leadership, and every day they're coming into not only leading students, but they're leading their fellow faculty. Father, they're, they're training up. Your word says train up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. And while we're responsible as parents to do it biblically, Father, they're doing it in the educational realm. But we know what they're dealing with. We know the stress they're dealing with on a daily basis. And we are so, so thankful for them. We pray, I know this school year's already kind of started, but we pray right now for a great school year that you would protect them, that you would watch over them. Lord, as Philippians says, that you would take away any depression, any anxiety, that they would be able to know that not only is your hand on them working through them, but you have gone before them, as your word says. Father, they are impacting lives. I, I can't overstate it enough. They are changing lives. And I pray they would realize that, that every morning when they wake up early, every hard day that they have and they're coming home and they're zoned out, that not only would they know that they're making impact, not only will they not know the impact they're making till years later, but most of all, they would know that you're with them. As that song we just sang, Father, you are with them going through what they're going through. So give them supernatural strength. Let them know that you are behind them. Let them know that their church is standing with them, believing in them to make a difference. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, one more time. Give it up for our teachers and faculty. Again, just reminding you teachers, as you guys are leaving today, just at some point after you go through Grow Track or sign up for small groups, you know, go, go by the Welcome Center. Miss Erica will get that gift to you or at least get your information so we can get it to you. And like I said, please hear my heart from this. If you need school supplies, get school supplies. If you don't, go get you a massage. You know what I mean? Like, do what you need to do uh, to be able to prep you for this school year. Uh, one last thing before we get into where we have uh, our last giveaway. Everybody get it out. I love when Zoe does this because she says, six, eight, seven. And everybody gets excited because everybody has six, eight, seven. Um, here we go. Last four digits. You ready? Winner of a brand new car. I don't know if it's Hot Wheel or Matchbox, but it's one of, it's one of those. Two? <laughs> it's not a car, guys. Just letting you know. Nine? Seven? <laughs> I feel like Drew Carey. Uh, zero? Wah, wah. Oh, here we go. Is it you? John Lowe. Is that you, John? I can't see. Spider-Man in the building. That's what I'm talking about. Awesome. Awesome. So glad to have you guys with us. We are bringing to close our At The Movie series. Have you guys been enjoying this? Have you had a good time? Uh, if, in case you're visiting with us for the first time today, what we do every week through this series is we take biblical truths and we pull them out of some of today's biggest blockbuster hits 
kids. And so week one, we did King Richard, and we talked about our identity and how our father sees us. Week two, we did Encanto, and we talked about how we are not our gifts and how uh, we are actually the gift as God uses us to reconcile people to him. And then last week, we did The Sandlot, and we talked about the importance of community. And I encourage you again as you go out, make sure you go stop by and, and talk to some small group leaders about their small group. And I just think that'll be a really encouraging thing for you. But today, we are going to kind of bring it to a, a complete climax here as we break out the reason we are here, the reason we gather every Sunday. So do me a favor, go ahead and open your popcorn, get your fingers buttery, pop your Cokes, there we go, go ahead and pop them so that you don't interrupt me during the service. Thank you so much. Come on, give it up for Spider-Man! How many of y'all have seen Spider-Man, the newest Spider-Man, enjoyed it? Look, I, I was thinking about this, that in our culture today, right, it's, it's pretty common, superhero is a pretty common concept, and we actually go pretty far back. Superheroes started with you know, comic books. I don't know how many of y'all are into comic books, but that was kind of how it started. And then it eventually became into action figures and cartoons and movies. And whether you go all the way back to some of the classic Superman movies or classic Batman TV shows. But, but now recently, I would say over the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, superheroes have really spiked up. It's become a very popular thing, you know, with obviously the the starting of the Marvel franchise, and it's just, it's an exciting thing. Everywhere you look, there's merchandise, and there's uh, uh, some type of promotion, promoting small groups, and I'm um, small groups, wow, <laughs> super, just subliminal messaging here, guys, uh, superheroes, small group leaders, simultaneous, um, but there's just, there's something inside of us that loves the tale of the hero versus villain, like, I, I don't really know what it is, but if you, if you go all the way back to when you were a kid, you were already kind of moving into that realm, whether superhero was police officer and firefighter or whether it was putting on a towel as a cape. Y'all remember that? You know, you just kind of flew around until you stubbed your toe and then you realized you weren't super at all. But, but there's just something in us that, that loves that tale. And every generation has its hero-villain duo. You know, like, I was trying to think about this earlier. I think maybe some of the very first superhero villain duo would have been Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? That's probably one, some of the original uh, superhero villain. And then maybe you got into more of the classic Batman, Joker, Superman, Lex Luthor. My generation, it was kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Shredder. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth, the X-Men and Magneto. Um, I, 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 I was even into Transformers. That was a thing for me. Uh, Ghostbusters was a thing for me. You know, you always had the hero and the villain. And now it's more like Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort and uh, the, I don't know, whoever the villain and good guy is in Lord of Rings, the short guy with the ring and the bad guy. Uh, sorry, don't leave the church. But, you know, it's just, it, it doesn't really matter what generation you are. Like, maybe I didn't name your favorite duo, but you could find this duo that is kind of your villain and your hero. And it makes me wonder where we would be without these stories of light versus darkness. Like if all of a sudden you took that concept out of our life, if, if every TV show, every movie, every superhero, this concept of light versus darkness disappeared, where, where would we be? It made me wonder why we have something inside of us that just believes that the hero is going to find a way to win. Like it's just kind of naturally in us. Like we just have hope. We just something expects for the hero to pull it off. 
And then why exactly do we find this concept so appealing? Why is it something that whether we're female, male, no matter where we're from, no matter what culture we've been born in, there's something about us that draws towards the hero-villain concept. And I want to bring this series to a close by helping you understand that the church is great for fellowship. It's great for fun, Spider-Man and popcorn and Coke. It's great for serving in dream teams, and it's definitely great for impacting our, our community and our country and the areas around us. Like These are all great benefits of the church. This is what the church should be for you. It should provide family and fellowship and connection and opportunities for you to serve and opportunities for you to give. But that's not the main reason we gather on Sunday morning. Like that's, that's all positive impacts of the local church. But it's not the reason you got out of bed this morning and rubbed the little eye boogers out of your eyes and got your kids ready as you called them, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and other biblical cuss words <laughs> and got them in the car and got here. You didn't come here for this. We gather for this reason. This is the reason. The good news of the gospel. So this whole concept of this movie is that these villains come in from different universes and Peter Parker, Spider-Man, wants to save them. Their fate is they're going to die. And so he says, I want to change their fate. But it was that line that triggered me for this movie where he says, trust me, when you try to fix people, when you try to change people, there are always consequences. Anytime you try to shift what should happen, anytime you try to change what is naturally going to happen by fate, there's always consequences. Now, you and I are no stranger to consequences, right? We've been taught since a really young age this concept of whatever we do comes with consequences. For example, don't touch the stove or you'll get burned, right? Don't touch the iron or you'll get burned. You got to brush your teeth or... <laughs> right? So there's actions and there's consequences from a young age. Don't yank on the TV or it'll fall on your head and kill you, right? There's actions and there's consequences. When you get to school, you need to learn and get an education or you won't get a job. When you, when you get out of school, you need to get a job or you won't have anywhere to live. When you get a job, you need to go to work or you'll get fired, right? You need to eat right. You need to exercise. You need to save your money. We are very uh, familiar with, from a very young age to even whatever age we are now, the concept of consequence. Likewise, when you and I break God's law by sinning against him, there is always consequence. Anytime that you and I do anything that is outside of the realm of how God would have us be, anytime we sin, there's consequences. And listen to me. The consequence of sin is death. According to Scripture, the consequence of sin is death. Now, when I say that the consequence of sin is death, I don't want you to think I necessarily mean like practical death. Like if you sin, boom, a heart attack happens. That's not what I'm talking about. When the Bible says that the consequence of sin is death, it, it's talking, yes, practically, but it's also talking spiritually. Here's what I mean. We all expect to experience physical death someday. Whether you choose to sin or not, it's not going to change whether or not you eventually physically die. That is going to happen, right? But when we sin, what we're talking about now is spiritual death. And those who never experience salvation through Jesus Christ will not only die physically, 
but they'll also die spiritually and they'll be separated from God for eternity. So when the Bible says that the consequence for sin is death, what it means by death is that that means eternal separation from God. So the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God. Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 6, he's writing to the church in Rome, and it's titled Romans, and here's what he says. He says in chapter 6, verses 20 through 23, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. In other words, when you were just going on about your life being a sinner, when you just enjoyed to be sin, yes, you were free from righteousness. You were free from this concept of, of moving in a godly way. However, what did that benefit you? He says, what did that benefit you from? from? From all the things that you were ashamed of? Watch this. Those things resulted in death. Sin always results in death. For example, it'll bring death in relationships. Right? It'll bring death into our finances. It'll bring death into our dreams. It'll bring death into our families. Sin always results in death. And he goes on to say what you've probably heard many, many, many times in regards to the actual process of salvation. He says, for the wages of sin is death. He just says it. The consequence of sin is death. The price tag for sin is death. Not just the physical death that you and I, all of us will experience, but a spiritual death that means you will spend eternity away from God. Now listen to me. Death is not the outcome that God had intended for his creation. Okay, that, that wasn't the, the, the initial intention. The Bible says that we were originally made for a good, rich, purposeful life and fellowship with God. But you know this, most of you probably know this, that the first man created Adam, the first uh, woman created Eve. They have the opportunity to make a decision, free will to choose, and they choose to sin, and that sin sets in motion a pattern that now separates us from God. Because of sin, we were separated from God, and we were separated from that life, from the idea of a fruitful, purposeful life with God. And in order for us to be saved, and in order for us to be reconciled with God, and to be reconciled to a life of purpose, love, and fulfillment, someone has to cover that consequence. For us to be able to be reconciled back to God, someone had to pay that price. If you've ever wondered how come authors, how come directors, how come screenwriters always kind of subconsciously think that the story needs to end with the hero giving their life, right? Like, like I mean, just think about it. It's just kind of something that we do. You read certain novels, and that's kind of how it ends. You watch certain movies. I was trying to think about all of the heroes that have sacrificed. If you're a big Marvel person, you know that Iron Man had to sacrifice his life, right? I was talking to one of the kids in V-Kids about my favorite superhero, Wolverine, and he was telling me that his was Iron Man, and I was like, well, mine can kick Iron Man's butt. So, you know, <laughs> just a little bit of biblical talk before church, you know. Um, 
But, but you can just let I me mean, think about it. I was trying to process this. You got Iron Man gave his life. Han Solo gave his life recently, if you're up on that. Uh, you know, uh, Harry Potter technically gave his life. We preached about this last year. And then he resurrected, right? Gandalf gave his life. Like, you know, Jack gave his life for Rose in the Titanic, right? I mean, he didn't have to die, but he did. That door was big enough. I'm just letting you know. Come on, girls, give us some space. You know, let a, let a brother on the door. You know what I mean? But it's just kind of natural. It's just kind of subconsciously. Again, as I was talking with Grayson and V-Kids, I, I, I would get figurines as a kid. And, and I, I told you I had the Ghostbusters, the Ninja Turtles, but the Ninja Turtles and the X-Men were my favorite. And I had these figurines. One time my mom sold all my figurines at a yard sale for a dollar. <laughs> Not a dollar a piece. All of them for a dollar. I'm not bitter about it, but it happened. But, but I have Wolverine. I've told y'all this before. I would go get my sister's Barbies, and I would bring them in because they were going to be the Danzo in distress, right, that Wolverine had. To, and I would get the bad toys like the Magnetos and stuff, and I'd break an arm off, and I'd put fingernail polish where, as if he was. And I would have this whole scene set up. And then Wolverine at some point would have to, like, lay on a rock, and Barbie would come over to him and say, you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to die for us. And, I, and this is all 100% narration right here. And I'm like, you know, I got to do it. I died for you. Like, it was just something in me. I don't know how to explain it. But I just knew, like, like, like deep down in me, I just knew that, that somehow the hero was supposed to die. He was supposed to sacrifice everything for everyone else. The truth is, for us, good versus evil is not just a story. It's not just a blockbuster movie. For us, it is in our blood. We are children of God. So this concept and story that happens, it's just naturally in us. We almost just know it and expect it. We can't explain it. Watch this. It's so real in us that all we know how to do is to write it into movies. Write it into stories. We don't know how to explain it. We just know that deep, 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 deep down, there is a price that needs to be paid. We just know that deep, 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 deep down, there, there's a concept, watch this, that we are powerless against the consequence of sin. We know that. You, no matter how hard we try, we are powerless against the consequence of sin. And we cannot save ourselves. You can't be good enough. You can't act good enough. You can't perform. You can't praise loud enough. You can't even pray hard enough. You cannot save yourself. And as a result, deep, deep down inside, we understand that for good to defeat evil, there must be a sacrifice. There's two things. You've, you've had all these different Spider-Mans, different movies. There's two things that always stay the same. Number one is that statement. Great power must also come great responsibility. The other thing that stays the same with all three Spider-Man is they lost someone special to them. That in order to be able to operate in this power, there would have to be responsibility, and responsibility would be losing somebody that you love. So it's natural when we start talking about the good news of the gospel that we might ask a question like this. Why does someone have to die? Why would Jesus need to give his life and here would be a better way to ask it, and here's the way I asked it for years. Why can't God just forgive those who are sorry for their wrongdoings? 
We're talking about God here, right? Like God, the creator of the universe. He's the one who decides how things go. Why couldn't God just look to us and go, are you sorry? And we would go, we're terribly sorry because I don't know about you, but anytime that I sin, I'm, I'm sorry for it. And we could just say, hey, I'm sorry. And God would be like, cool, well, if you're good, I'm good. We can move forward. There's no reason for anybody to have to die. Well, what would be the reason for that? And I'll tell you the reason. I'll give you a story first to set it up. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that my mom and my sister both have moved in uh, down into Smyrna Murfreesboro to live here with us, and my sister made these banana chocolate muffins. Um, we just take a minute. Everybody, let's take a minute and just enjoy it as you eat your popcorn, and I starve. Thanks a lot. Uh, but they were so delicious, and she made them for my mom because my mom wanted to eat them every morning, and my mom came by to get the kids, and she had a bag of 24 banana chocolate muffins. And she put it on my cabinet, and then she left to take our kids somewhere. I happened to come home in the time, and I saw them, and I thought, how sweet. Somebody's giving us 24 banana chocolate muffins. And I was ready to eat all 24 of them by myself. And my mom came back, and, and she got ready to leave, and she said, oh, let me get my muffins. And I was like, well, they're not, they're not my muffins? And she said, no, they're mine. And so then we had a 15-minute conversation about how she you know, gave birth to me, and she should at least be willing to give me a muffin or two. And so she left two banana chocolate muffins. And y'all, I had the whole thing planned out. The next day when I had my shake for lunch, I was going to have the muffins. It was just going to be beautiful. And I woke up the next day to get ready to go take the kids to school and to go to the gym. And I walked into the kitchen area. And where there should have been two chocolate banana muffins, there was one chocolate banana muffin. And, I, and getting two almost cost me and my mom our relationship. So it was very, very important. And, and I, the whole day I'm stressing over this. I'm like, I cannot believe my kids would go and eat one of my muffins without t asking the man. I get the big piece of chicken. I, I run this house. You know what I mean? You ask me permission or you will sleep on the back porch. And so later on I was talking to Darwin. I said, would you believe that one of them little snotty-nosed children ate one of my muffins, and she said, wait a minute, what I said, the, the banana and the chocolate muffin, she said, they didn't eat it, I said, they didn't, she goes, I ate it, I said, say what, first of all, you're vegan, so that's against God's law, they might have been vegan, I don't know, but still, you should not supposed to enjoy food, that's how vegan works, and so, I was like, you know what, and she said, she said, I'm sorry, and I said, you're lucky, you're beautiful, you're, 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 you're forgiven. But here's the situation. I'm about to drop theological truth on you. She apologized, but I still only had one muffin. You know what I mean? Like, she was sorry, but there was still a consequence. You know what I mean? Here's what that means. When you and I sin, regardless of how sorry we feel, the consequence still has to be borne by someone. Of course you're sorry. Of course I'm sorry. There's a piece in us that loves God. So anytime that we sin against the law of God, we don't like that and we're sorry. But even though we're sorry, consequences still happen. I thought about telling you the story I've shared with you before where I was painting with my dad and I was running through, or sorry, he was painting at somebody's house. I was with him and I stepped on the front of the paint bucket and tipped all his paint onto this woman's carpet. And I apologized. <laughs> And he forgave me because he's a great, great father. But someone still had to pay for that. See what I mean? 
All you parents out there whose kids do something, they write all over your wall and then go, I'm sorry. <laughs> and after you punched them in the face, <laughs> kidding, don't do that, it's bad. But after you, you, you said, yes, I get it, you're sorry, but there's still, someone still has to paint this wall. Someone still has to pay for this. The payment for sin is death. And so in the Old Testament, God created this temporary means through death of animals. And it was a ritual then that every morning and every night they would sacrifice a lamb. And so in the morning, when you made that sacrifice, it covered all of your sins from the time that you had sacrificed the last lamb. So you would sacrifice it normally about sunset, right? You would sacrifice one. And then every sin you committed for, so this is nighttime, so a lot of us, that's where we rank up our sin chart, right, is at night. So all the sins you would commit at night into the morning, and that would, that would be forgiven by the lamb that you sacrificed in the morning. So you would sacrifice one in the morning, and you would sacrifice one in the evening. But here was the problem with that system, is people could go through wit ritual without relationship. They could just sacrifice the lamb so they'd be forgiven, but there was no real heart change in the relationship with God. They did it so that they wouldn't go to hell. They did it so they wouldn't have to pay for those sins, but there was no real relationship with God, and God knew that there was no amount of sheep that was ever going to remove the sin of the world. He knew that, so he sent Jesus. And that's where John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 come in and I know it's well known, and I know that you've probably heard it before. You, maybe you can even quote it, depending on how long you've been in church and how long you've been living for the Lord. But I want to read it, and I want you to understand what we're talking about today. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Now, John's writing this, being Holy Spirit-led, and by after being able to investigate Jesus and be with Jesus, here's the conclusion he came to, that for Jesus to be who Jesus is, to do what Jesus is about to do, God really must love you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Watch this. That for whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. Shall not have to pay the consequence of sin, which is death. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ died for you, he lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death, for you, because God loved you so much, whoever believes in that shall be saved and have eternal life. And then here's 17. Watch this. And a lot of you need to hear this because you're either unsaved and today you're going to give your heart to Jesus or you understand religion and you don't quite understand Jesus. And so God adds this part. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He didn't send Jesus to get on the cross and go, you're so bad. Look at you. You're so bad. Get it? <laughs> so terrible. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent Jesus to die for our sins. God is a justful God. He will never go back on his word. So when death becomes the consequence of sin... Even though God could just make an exception and change it, he's just, so he won't. So now he knows that we have sinned, and the consequence of our sin is death. And so what does he do? He sends Jesus. Salvation's price has always been blood. It's always been someone's life. Therefore, and please tune in for a moment. I know you're enjoying Spider-Man, but this is why we're here. 
Therefore, our sins can be paid for in one of two ways. Our life in hell for eternity or Jesus' life on the cross. Either way, the consequence has been covered. But it's your choice. I hear people say it all the time. How, how could God? God's not fair. God literally made it our choice. That regardless, those sins can be covered. That consequence can be paid. It can either be done by you or it can be done by Jesus. It's your choice. And watch this. And when it comes to that cost, God would much rather himself pay that price than you and I. If you're in here and you're a parent, whether you are parenting small children currently, bless your heart, I pray for you daily, or whether you have kids who have moved out of your household, you have faced as a parent two scenarios. Scenario one is when you have told that child not to do something that is completely stupid because they are going to hurt themselves. Am I right, parents? Don't leave me up here by myself. I'll start calling out your kids, all right? Because I've had to tell them don't do something stupid not to hurt themselves. All right? We all have those moments. Don't do that. Do not do it. If it's young kids, it's don't run through the house. Don't, look, don't open it. Don't touch that. If they're teenagers, don't text him. Sorry, a little bit of my real parent coming out of me. Leave him alone. All boys are terrible. You can get married at 52. That's when boys become good. Right? Amen, fathers. You spend your whole life telling them, don't, don't do that. Why? Because it's stupid. And even though you think it's going to be fun, it's going to end up hurting you and it's going to hurt you. And We've all done it as parents. Am I right? Here's the other scenario I guarantee you've done as a parent. That child does it anyway. They get hurt. You grab them and here's whether you say it out loud or whether you think it, here's what you say. I wish I could take the pain from you. I wish I could, I wish I hurt instead of you. It's a crazy scenario because you were just telling that little dumb child, <laughs> don't do that. And they did it. And what you think would happen naturally is a, well, that's, that, that's on you. I remember hearing growing up you know, that saying, they'll only do it once. Y'all remember that? Let them pull that TV on the head. They only do it once. <laughs> but I've seen some of the biggest you know, biggest men and, and, and strongest parents break down when that kid starts crying. Oh, I just wish I could take the pain. Where do you think we get that? Why is our DNA that way? Because it's the DNA of the father. Because the DNA is, don't do that. Oh, don't watch that. Oh, don't go there. Don't talk to him. Don't do that. It's not, don't. Do it, and then we do it anyway. We all laugh when I call the kids dumb. We're dumb, right? And we do it anyway. And what we think, because religion teaches us, is that the father's going to sit there and go, you'll only do it once. Enjoy hell. But what he says is he comes and grasps us. And at some point he said, I wish I could take that pain. So he did. He came up with the system. He said, I'll send my son to experience that so that you don't have to experience it. Until we grasp the severity of our sins, until we grasp spiritual death, 
that concept of separation from God for eternity, we will not fully understand the good news. Do you come to church to see your friends? I hope you do. I hope you got friends. If you don't, join a small group, you will. Do you come to church to fellowship and to enjoy incredible worship and great production and great coffee and be able to join small groups and serve? Of course you do. I hope you do. That's not the real reason. The real reason, the foundational reason, is the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. There was a debt to be paid, and God himself paid it. There was a penalty to be borne. God himself bore it. With forgiveness always comes a form of costly suffering. It did for Spider-Man. It will for us. For us to change fate. For us to go from death to life. There has to be a sacrifice of costly suffering. And with great power, salvation, comes great responsibility. Jesus' life. You know, there's a moment right there between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man where he says, he says, it'll work though, right? And he's like, it'll work, but, and I don't know, it's not biblical, so be careful how you take this, but I just, I, I picture Jesus and God having a conversation in heaven. And at some point, religion has overtaken grace and people are starting to feel like they have to perform to experience salvation. And you know as well as I do that we'll never be able to perform enough and so there starts to become condemnation. And Jesus and God are talking and there's this moment of, what are we gonna do? Jesus is like, I, I could go down and die for him. God's like, ah, you're my son. But it would work, right? It would, but it would cost. But it would work, right? The whole concept of the movie is built around the fact that Spider-Man wants both. He wants to both save these villains and not lose himself. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says something that, if we're not careful, we'll just kind of read and go right over because we don't quite understand the context. But it's important for us to grasp. And he says it like this. He gives two illustrations. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, that new piece would pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Then he gives a second illustration. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskin would be ruined. Now, what does that mean for us? Because none of us use wineskins and very little of us actually do any sewing today. But what do those illustrations mean? Here's what Jesus was saying. You can't have the old way and the new way. You can't try to marry the two. The new way is that I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that by his grace, my sins are forgiven. The old way is I have to perform to the best of my ability. And I have to be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. And listen... I know there's something in us. We're in the South. We've been raising... Darling, I were talking about this the other day. There's something in me that always wants to go back to the old me. That when somebody doesn't perform up to the way I think they should perform, something in me wants to go. But God, there has to be. And there's something in me that wants to draw back. And Jesus says you can't have both. 
Because when you try to have both, at some point, they're going to come apart and the tear's going to be even worse. He says, I have to lean all the way in to the new way, which is grace in Jesus Christ. That by faith, I am saved through Jesus Christ. And people have asked me this, I've asked myself this. How do you preach grace and stop people from taking advantage of it? Right? How do you, how do you stand up with this new way and expect that somebody won't take it and use it as just an excuse like they did with the old system? And it took me years to come to this answer, and here's my answer. It's, it's not my responsibility. I, I don't control how other people receive grace, but it's my job to preach it. It's my job to point them to Christ on the cross. And can I tell you what I believe? That if somebody really experiences the grace of Jesus Christ, there'll be a heart change in them, and they'll want to change. Now, it's a process. Salvation is immediate. Sanctification is a process. You can be saved today. You're going to be being sanctified for a while. But there's a story. At one point, when Abraham Lincoln was putting in the process of the freedom of slaves, he found a young slave girl that was still being kept. and He went through the process to free her, and then he told her. This is a recorded conversation that they believe happened where he said to her, you can do whatever you want. Go do whatever you want. He said, did you set me free? And he said, yeah. And she said, then I'm going to follow you. And I, and I think that's what the gospel is. Jesus, did you set me free? Yes. Did you die for my sins? Yes. Then I'm going to follow you. That's where scripture says we're a slave to Christ, no longer a slave to sin. Because if you're going to free me, I'm going to follow you. Do me a favor. Would everybody stand? Band, I'm going to invite you guys up. Nobody leave real quick. Just, I, I'm going to give kind of an invitation, and then as we begin to sing, I know we got dream team members need to get in place. Just hang tight for one second. It's a sweet, sweet moment. You can't preach the gospel and not give people the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. The Bible is very clear. It says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Christ is your Savior, you shall be saved. I told you salvation is it's pretty easy. It's you believing that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to clean your sins. And you believe that Christ came to earth. I could give you a whole other sermon about the, the, the educational facts that prove that Christ died for your sins. But by you believing in it, by you confessing with your mouth, the Bible says you are saved. The Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then begins the process of sanctification. That's what the church is for. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, which means as you choose to follow God, you hang out with these people who choose to follow God, and you learn how to follow God together. But this morning, what an opportunity. So I want to give two challenges. One, in a minute, we're going to pray, and if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to do that today. I'll give you a little bit of instruction. We'll do that. And then in front of you, as Emily spoke about the connection card, if you do that, if you pray that prayer, would you please fill that card out? Take it to the Welcome Center. And that's so that we could contact you and figure out how to help you through this journey. Answer any questions that you might have. Second is for those in here that you're saved. You accepted Christ as your Savior. But let's be honest. Life's gotten a little crazy. It's gotten a little busy. Summer was a little wild. 
Maybe you're kind of getting back into routine. And now it's kind of a time for you to say, you know what, Lord? I'm reminded today of what you've done for me. And I just want to be serious about following you. So if you're making that decision for salvation, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. And you can repeat after me. You can say it however you want to say it. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I want to follow you as my Savior. It can be as simple as that. You can say it out loud in your heart. Again, it's way more about us helping you post that decision. I don't really know that you could say it wrong. Because obviously Jesus is looking on the inside more than he's paying attention to the words that are coming out. But I think one of the biggest problems with our culture today is we say that and then we walk out and we don't know what to do with the post experience. And that's our fault. So everybody close your eyes. Father, I thank you right now for this opportunity. I thank you for every person that joined us today. I thank you for the family that you're building right here in Antioch today. A message of grace, a message of the cross. So that not only could we live in freedom, but that we could go into our schools and our workplaces, into our community, and provide grace and freedom there. We belong to you, Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone in this place that's never received you as their Savior, that right now they would say that, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I'm a sinner that cannot save myself, but I'm saved by, crosses, by Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Now, Father, they would begin to follow you right now. Do what only your Holy Spirit can do. Move on the hearts of your children, every man, every woman, every young person, to make a decision today that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I want to spend heaven in eternity with him. It's that prayer that makes us belong to you, Jesus. We belong to you, Father. No fear. You are those things. You are our shepherd, our protector, our provider. Come on, right now, just begin to pray. Just begin to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And let's worship him together. Come on, team, take us through that song. Let us worship together in this place. Come together as one voice. We belong to you, Jesus. Hallelujah.